Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to The Legendarium. Today, Craig and I discuss The Fellowship of the Ring, Book 2, Chapters 1 and 2, in an episode titled The Council of Elrond and Other Elven Nonsense. Hey everybody, I'm Craig. I'm Ryan. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying apparently. You're, you're dying. I'm Ryan. Alright, well welcome back. Uh, book two. Yes, the second book inside the first work novel. The, what was the word you used? Volume? Volume, that's it. <laughs> Volume. We are, well, I mean, in... In book years, we're one third of the way through uh, the Lord of the Rings. So one third, one sixth of the way through. I'm I'm a math person. <laughs> I do maths. Um, yeah. So welcome to Revendell Ryan. Thank you. Uh, we are here for the duration of the cast today. Mm-hmm. Um, in case you're worried though about geographical monotony, uh, don't be. Okay. Because we're going to get a whole bunch of exposition in this chapter. Um, from a whole bunch of different people. It's like Christmas all <laughs> over again. Um, as as a matter of fact, um, we travel to a lot of places through various stories that people tell while we're in Rivendell. Are you ready for a non-comprehensive list? Yes. All right. So we hear about the Shire, Bree, Weathertop, Mirkwood, Dale, the Lonely Mountain, Dolgaldur, Isengard, Rohan, Arnor, Gondor, Mordor, the Grey Havens. We even hear about such strange, faraway places as Rune, Harad, and Valinor and Numenor. Who do we hear about it from? Well, all right, no fewer than twenty-one speakers, if we count the 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 speakers who are quoted by the people telling the story. Wow, quotes within the quotes, got it. Indeed. All right, so if we count everybody who's directly quoted, we have 21 speakers just in Chapter 2 alone. Uh, This is the folks at uh, at the Council of Elrond. Ready? All right, here we go. Elrond, Frodo, Bilbo, Sam, Gandalf, Aragorn, Glowing, Glorfindel, Aristor, Galdor, Legolas, Boromir, the Mordor Messenger, Dane, Isildur, Saruman, Radagast, Denethor, Gwaihir, Gaffer Gamgee, and, oh yes, Barlaman Butterbur, lest we forget. Did you say Gollum? Does Gollum not speak in that section? No, I don't believe he does. We hear about Aragorn tracking him, but I don't think he ever speaks. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. Well, they talk about him talking to Gandalf, but he's never quoted as saying anything. Right. I'm just talking. I I just went with quotations in this one. Fine, fine. Anyway, yeah, it's a bit of an... Try as hard as I can. This one is an intimidating chapter. It's it's a lot of words. It's what, like three... Oh, sorry, 30 pages, 35, something like that, chapter 2. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, you know, for anybody who's reading this chapter, I'd just say don't feel bad if if you feel a bit overwhelmed. Um, in this chapter, we're introduced to a ton of new people, um, including my favorite character. Um, but the most important players and the most important places, we're going to get to know them as the story goes on. And then the ones who we don't care about, that's fine, because we're never going to hear about them again. And it doesn't matter. So I found, actually, and we'll probably touch on this a little bit later, but there's, I think there's a very wise way to approach this chapter. If, if you're new to the series, it's probably the best way to approach it. Um, rather than going through and trying to hit the full chapter, realize 
This is a series of short stories. You're getting different stories about different things from different people here. And so if you break it down and say, okay, right now I'm hearing the story about of Gandalf. Right now I'm hearing the story about Bilbo. You know, Bilbo. Or whatever. I'm hearing those. And treating them as separate stories, you'll feel less like you're dragging through a long chapter and more like you're just having to read through a series of short stories that are condensed into one chapter. You're lame. I know. <laughs> Um, well, anyway, uh, it is, so it is big, but we do get a reward. Um, at, at least I think it's a reward. We get a veritable treasure trove of Tolkien philosophy, which we will get to. But first, first things first, uh, let's play a little Craig's Lord of the Rings trivia. Woohoo! <laughs> All right. Uh, Ryan, are you ready? As ready as I'm going to be. All right. Well, here we go. Uh, let's see. Get to my trivia page. Okay. 60 imaginary seconds, and here we go. Aragorn goes by many names. What name does Bilbo know him by? Oh, Bilbo knows him as uh, Dunedain. Wow. All right. Pretty close. The, 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 the Dunedain. The Dunedain. He corrects. The Dunedain. It's singular, so it's Dunedain instead of Dunedain. <laughs> Tell me, as precisely as possible, when Frodo wakes up in the House of Elrond. As, um, there is an actual date on this, isn't there? The 24th of October. Huh? Nice. What time? One thirty-one in the <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> I don't know. 10 o'clock in the morning. Oh, that's October right. October the 24th, if you want to know. Oh, All right. that is, I do remember that now. All right. It turns out Frodo's stab wound wasn't a simple one. What did Elrond finally find that allowed Frodo to heal? A splinter. He found a splinter that was still in there that he pulled out, and then it allowed him to finally heal. Indeed. In fact, the tiny shard of the Morgul blade was actively, seemingly, actively working its way toward Frodo's heart. Hmm. Sinister. What does Pippin call Frodo that rather upsets Gandalf? A ninny hammer. Uh, how do you... Just kidding. Um, Make way for Frodo. Lord of the Ring. Correct. There is only one Lord of the Ring, and he's not here. <laughs> uh, what brought Boromir to Rivendell? A uh, dream. Was it? Wasn't it a dream? I believe it was a dream that he needed Elrond's help to understand. Correct. Uh, he's looking for the answer to the riddle that came to him in a vision or a dream. Someone else shared that vision with Boromir. Who was it? Mm, I don't remember. His yet unnamed brother. Oh, yes, it was. Weren't there? Oh no, the four of them. The uh, they were the only four that survived. I think it was there was four of them there, but just the two of them got right. it. Right. So. Uh, let's see, there are 13 people present that we know of that are named at the Council of Elrond. Twelve of them speak during the Council of Elrond. Who is the silent holdout? Throughout the entire Council? Mm-hmm. At least through all of Chapter 2. Oh, uh, well, that kills my answer. I was going to say Sam, but he speaks at the end. He does. Um... I, whoever Legolas came with. <laughs> Gimli. Oh, Gimli. It's Gimli. He never speaks. Glowing does all the speaking. Saruman the White transforms himself into Saruman the... the... Fabulous! 
<laughs> I knew I knew you were going to do that, and I hesitated to write this down. <laughs> he gets all the colors in his robe. He's yes. now he's got a fancy Technicolor <laughs> dream coat of amazingness. Uh, correct. Oh man, how am I supposed to make it through this? <laughs> Uh, who first volunteers to take the ring to Mordor? Bilbo. Correct. Gandalf gets himself a new horsey pal. Name that horsey pal. Shadowfax? Correct. Bonus. Are you ready for this one? I'm ready. No, you're not. Uh, we are told that Minas Tirith is actually the new name given to Boromir's home city. What was its original name? The original city was Osgiliath. No, the original. But, so Osgiliath is down on the river, right? Right. It was there, but his home city is Minas Tirith, the seven-layered tear cake, the bean dip of all cities <laughs> in the Middle East. Correct. Um, I yeah, don't know. Uh, Minas Anor, the Minas. Tower of the Rising Sun, oh. and its sister city is actually Minas Morgul, where the Witch King holds uh, his dominion. Which was originally named Minas Ithil, the Tower of the Rising Moon. Did I say Rising Sun? I meant Setting Sun. Minas Anor, Tower of the Setting Sun. Minas Ithil was Tower of the Rising Moon. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, just store that one away for never. All right, here we go. Got it. Um, well, pretty good. I didn't keep track, as usual. I, you know, I keep meaning every time we start one of these... Craig's Lord of the Rings trivia. I keep meaning to to mark down how many you get right, but it turns I think, out I don't care. I think I got seven of the ten. Yeah, all right. That's that's pretty good. Um, maybe I need to start making them harder. I need you to start scoring three and four. <laughs> um, well, okay, so let's move on with it. Uh, I, I want to go to uh, a new segment that I think we will introduce for at least the duration of book two, and, uh, and we'll do some quick-fire observations. Um, now, in honor of the elves who use a 12 base number system instead of 10 base like we do or sorry base 10 base 12 so they they count by 12s instead of 10s we are going to do a top 12 not a countdown because it's in no particular order of uh observations from these chapters and we're going to start with ryan ready set go for my quickfire dozen first effort, I'm going to go talk about the scarring effect of a little evil. As we go back to the blade that was stabbed into Frodo, the amazing fact that just a little splinter left inside of him prevented him from healing. And although he's scarred and never fully heals, it wasn't until he removed the last little bit of that evil from him that he was finally able to get back to somewhat normal. Oh. That's depth in 30 seconds or less. Very nice. All right, number two. I realized during Bilbo's song about Erendil that Tolkien is actually taking us through Aragorn's family history largely through song. Well, poetry, really. Um, and now this isn't vital stuff, so if you glaze over a bit during these poems, uh, I, I will forgive you. But when you pay close attention to what's being told, I think that it can add a bit more depth and, and uh, gravitas to the story, or whatever mm. word you want to use there. I don't know. Um, you know, it kind of, it helps us realize that we're coming in very late in a story that, that has its beginnings in the creation itself, you know, the creation myth that Tolkien created. And, and by golly, if that's not a concept that can help us gain some perspective in real life, then I will burn this book right now. <laughs> not in here, please. Okay. For my next point, I want to reinforce a relationship point uh, between Frodo and Sam. 
We talked about this earlier a little bit, but I thought it was interesting that while they were in Rivendell and while they were being waited on by the elves, Sam requested to still serve Frodo. He was told that because Frodo was a guest, uh, he was, you know, that he didn't need to worry about it. He was going to be taken care of. But the fact that Sam still wanted to be the servant of Frodo, even amidst all these times when that sort of class of servant master may not have even been recognized or been, you know, really something that would have carried outside of the Shire. So I thought it was interesting that Sam still wanted to maintain his servant relationship with Frodo. Yeah. You know, I've noticed that in previous readings, but somehow I glazed over that one on this one. That was a good one. Um, number four. Remember uh, when I mentioned that Aragorn and Arwen are cousins? Yes. Okay. So now that we've met, or well, we, we saw Arwen, uh, I looked up just how they're related. Are you ready? Yes. So Erendil from Bilbo's song had two sons, both half-elven. Named Elrond and Elros. Right. Okay. Um, side note, wouldn't it be kind of odd for people to come to your home and sing a song about a legendary hero from thousands of years ago who saved the world and now sails through the sky in a magical boat that appears as a bright star and you can actually say, yeah, that was my dad. <laughs> yeah, that would be a little odd. Because, yeah, Aragorn calls Bilbo a little bit cheeky for writing a song about Erendil. Uh -huh. <laughs> and that would be why, I think. Uh, anyway, so Elrond, the first brother, the one that chooses to yeah, be an elf, he begets Arwen, while Elros, meanwhile, chooses mortality and begets a whole mess of descendants roughly 65 generations later. Boom. Aragorn the second, or the Aragorn that we know in this story. So, if I'm reckoning right, Arwen is Aragorn's first cousin, about 64 times removed. So, I think they're cool to go ahead and make some babies. So, wait a minute. Aragorn is the second Aragorn in the series? Yeah, there was an Aragorn a few generations back. We don't really care about him. Sad. So, there goes the unique factor. All right, well... I wanted to touch on another thing that kind of interested me in this, and we didn't, and you actually asked about it in the trivia a little bit. But what brings everyone to Rivendell? I found it very interesting that uh, that it was there was no council called. Ah, everyone just came, and they all happened to be there at the same time. So whether it be fate or destiny or whatever brings them, or in the case of uh, Boromir, he has a dream. Um, just went to a moment of tangled there. Um, and everyone has a dream. Um, Speaking of fabulous. Yes. Aren't you? I am fabulous. But I, I'm, I was just very interested that why would everyone come at the same time or what would draw everyone at the same time to Rivendell of all places? Mm. So. There are other forces at work beyond the forces of evil. Yeah, or something like that. I think that's how they wrote it for Gandalf in the movie. That was whatever the good word for ominous is. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll come back to that. Okay, number six. Gandalf describes Isengard as covered in a thick, dark smoke because of Saruman's work that's going on there. Um, and now I've got to mention to anybody listening to this that Ryan and I are from Salt Lake City. Uh, and for the last month or two, uh, it has been so polluted, so smoggy so nasty that i i when i read that i could not help but think holy crap i live in isengard <laughs> <laughs> so you know I, and okay i love my modern conveniences but i gotta admit i have loved uh living in in places where you just don't have to worry about that 
Mm-hmm. You know, I lived in the Northwest for a while. There's always a healthy wind coming off the coast. And so any pollution gets blown over to, you know, the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> so don't worry. Thank you, Seattle. We appreciate that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, I, I was forcibly reminded of my own sad uh, lung situation. And I have decided after the reading, and perhaps there is some lore already, that the One Ring must have a name. It must have a unique name, and it's <laughs> like like Robert. Yeah, you know Howard the One Ring or whatever. Okay. But the name of the One Ring, I believe, in, in all seriousness, would be whatever the translation for the word precious would be in the Mordor language, mm. the language of Mordor. There, because it keeps coming up. Because it, it's repeated, it's re- repetitively used, mm-hmm. and everyone refers to it as "it is precious to me" or "is my precious" or or whatever. So I believe that whatever that word would be in Elvish Mordorian. <laughs> dialect black speech yes in the black speech that would be the name of the one ring not bad all right i like that um okay so number eight i love it uh when glowing shows up uh bill or not bilbo frodo has a nice little chat with him that's a good reminder to me that we're in a sequel to the hobbit which i somehow forget uh sometimes as i'm reading the lord of the rings and I think it's probably just because of the stylistic differences between the two. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, this is these are two very interconnected stories. We need to remember what happened to Bilbo on his journey to inform what's happening on this one. Once Bilbo stands up and gets ready to deliver his section of the speech, I wanted there to be a pair, like a little uh, inside parentheses there, read The Hobbit here. <laughs> that would be nice. All right, go on with your bad self. All right. So my next point is the that I finally get somewhat of an explanation for Tom Bombadil. Ah, yes. I and thought you might bring that up. I was I was very pleased to finally get a little bit of clarity as to his relationship with the ring. It's just that he don't give a care about it. <laughs> he is his own master and he cannot bend the will of the ring or anything, but he just he's his own master, so nothing can maybe be a master over him, which is a theme or an idea that I find to be very interesting. The idea of being uh, of being a master over something and then having something be a master over you. Again, it's back to the servant thing with Frodo and Sam and, uh, you know, the One Ring and, and Sauron and, and vice versa. Things like that. I just found that to be a theme very interesting and I was glad I finally got some closure with Tom Bombadil. Indeed. Um, all right, number 10. Uh, lest we take things too seriously, uh, there are some pretty good jokes peppered throughout the book if you are willing to open your eyes and see them. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are kind of in your face. Some of them are kind of subtle. Uh, an example of a good Tolkien joke would be near the beginning of chapter two. We get the line. <coughs> this is right before the council. Not all that was spoken and debated in the council need now be told. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> Cause Tolkien then proceeds with about 30 fire hose pages of information, characters, settings. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I personally choose to believe he was chuckling a bit when he typed that one out. <laughs> I think it's, is it Frodo that gets to the end of, or maybe Bilbo, I can't remember. Somebody gets to the end of their little story and they say, well, you know, that made for a fair bit of story, didn't it? Mm-hmm. I, I kind of felt like the the wink, wink, nudge, nudge coming from, from talking on that one. That's true. I, you know, or maybe he just wrote out, we don't need to write it all. No, I do. Dang it. <laughs> I'm out of white, you know, I'm out of the white out stuff on my typewriter here. Um, but for my for my next point, it's actually a combination of, of two ideas here that apparently there's a a feeling that you know some some things are better 
some things are better than others. And that's a very generic statement, but specifically <laughs> uh, I'm going to with the fact that they constantly seem to be saying in this book, well, it's not like it was in the old days, you know, or back in the, you know, the dwarves cannot make what was made in the old mm, days. Sure. Well, but our mining facilities are fantastic now. You got to come check them out. The water's coming through. Everything's colorful again. It's great. But we can't make the stuff of the old days. And then you have characters like Saruman, who's like, Gandalf the Grey, Radagast the Brown. You just wish you were this fabulous. What are you talking about? <laughs> Where are you going with this? So, so Saruman in there, when Gandalf, when he, Gandalf is telling his story and he yeah. comes, Saruman, it actually says that he, what is it? almost as though he scoffs or something, mm -hmm. at the colors that are assigned to both Gandalf and Radagast. Radagast. Sure. And I think there, there's something there that's, you know, I joke about it because he's got all the colors, but the fact that he's like, you, you know, we've always viewed this white as the as the best. And he says, you know, white can be dyed over, dyed sure. and everything. But the, the whole idea that um, the bad that is coming or, the, or what, would change and make things better or or that things are not as good as they used to be i'm, I'm having a terrible time trying to illustrate this point okay keep trying well so i'll separate it into two then one is the fact is the just the interest in the colors there that the evil view is that combining all of them is you know having all the colors having everything is better than having one pure solid Okay, so so it maybe it's better to have mastery in the Tom Bombadil style over one area than to try to have mastery over everything. Yes. Okay. All right. Yes. I can get on board with that. Um, all right. Let's see. Da, 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 da. Oh, number 12. Last one. Um, in the Hall of Fire, which... You remember that's where they all go to listen to music after the big feast. Uh, there's a description of of music that they listen to uh, that's wonderful and beautiful, uh, but Frodo couldn't really understand it. It's all in Elvish, and you know he speaks it a little, but not that much. Um, it uh, this is totally on a personal note. It just reminded me of how much I love good music that I can't understand. You know, maybe it's like maybe it's an Italian opera, maybe it's the strange. Finnish pop folk music that I've gotten into recently. It's mm -hmm. kind of ridiculous. But, uh, you know, maybe it's even a song in your in your native language, but the words are kind of garbled a little bit. I've always thought when I listen to music that, that lyrics are incidental. And good music is good music. And, you know, the, the worst thing you can do is ruin it with terrible lyrics, right? <laughs> anyway, um, so... This could be why I, like many others, kind of gloss over when I get to the poems mm -hmm. in Lord of the Rings, because I don't care about the words. Show me the music. That's how I want to experience these songs. Oh, yeah. So I read them and I know them, you know, but uh, I just don't, I don't love them the way that I might. Oh, I, I completely understand. I think I kind of laughed a little bit at the room, the, the room of fire. Mm -hmm. If I remember right, the description is that there's a single fire in the room, but everything else is fairly dark and that people are often sleeping in there. Yeah. And I was like, that sounds a whole lot more like, you know, someone you know, in our modern parlance would be like a, uh, in that they're hot boxing to music. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, those hobbits and, and presumably some of the elves do love their weed, don't they? They they do enjoy a good pie, but the, the their mind altering chemical, their mind altering drug was the good music of the elves, right? Oh, see, I was gonna I was gonna say it's life. 
Oh, right. life. There we go. High on life. Yeah, okay. life. <laughs> so, um, apparently, you can buy life legally now in Colorado and Washington. Washington. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, so good. Twelve points. Pretty rapid fire. Um, any of these that you want to deep dive into? Um, as we go on, there might be one or two that I just that I think. Uh, we can come back to you, at the moment. I wanted to talk about the one that you brought up uh, with why why is everybody there? Um, as I let me grab my book. Uh, um, as I was reading, I, I got a little ways into it and realized that um, that chance is a, a is a recurring theme. Anytime you see chance or fortune, or you know, I don't know if he ever says coincidence, but you know, you got to pay attention to these things. And let's see. Um, so I've counted at least six references so far um, in in uh, both book one and, and the first part of book two to chance. And um, and I think this is going to be a pretty important thing as we go through the whole trilogy or the whole home, if you will. Um, I think Tolkien is going to try to tell us something here. Uh, I've thought about it a little bit in the past, um, but not enough to you know to expound a ton on it right now so i'll be interested to get your thoughts as we go forward but uh, as a preliminary measure it just sounds like um you know the the forces of evil are very apparent in this book you have you have sauron the embodiment of evil you have saruman who kind of has turned from the path and becomes evil and, and so we're we're confronted with these very obvious dark forces in the world but then whenever Tolkien talks about chance it's an opportunity for us to say hey wait a minute is there a force for good acting on behalf of these characters outside of their their view right and I I would say that there almost has to be mainly because and what does this say about Rivendell? I mean, why why is everyone coming to this point at this time, or this place at this time? I mean, it would be coincidence to, or chance to say that, you know, everyone seeing what was going on decided to go get to go get answers to their questions mm -hmm. from Elrond, from someone that they thought was wise, and everyone got directed to Elrond. Well, no, that's not what happened. Everyone went there, so that means that. Apparently, in Middle-earth, Elrond is the place, like, Rivendell is where you go to get your answers. Right. Why, you know, okay, so why some outside force has basically, would have to almost be in effect to say, everyone needs to know to go here for their answers. And then we got to trigger it and get everyone to go. Because it, it just, it, there's, it's either way too big of a coincidence or there's or there's something pushing it or there's something pushing it yeah i mean well you think about the the uh, vision that was given to boromir and his brother uh in which in imladris is named you know and so where did this vision come from who gave it to them and yeah they they were specifically told about this city to go to and you know and so that's what pushes them there and i mean so in that case it's pretty explicit but i don't know about the other ones so yeah i well, we can we can see from like if we we take the ones that we know about, we know we know why um, Frodo and his crew are headed to Rivendell because they his were crew? told his yeah, crew his crew his posse his entourage. Nice, that's right. Come on, boys, we're heading to Rivendell. Yeah, we Please won't do don't that again. Ever, ever do that again. 
<laughs> so Frodo's going to Rivendell because he's told by Gandalf. You know, Strider's taking them there because he's been instructed to... to he, he has been instructed to help them. Um, and you have Boromir, who's going there because of the dream. Who do we not know about? Or we know the reasoning behind Gloin and Legolas. Well, you which, know, in, in, that, in those cases, I think they were both... Um, they were both kind of what you were talking about earlier. Hey, this this crazy situation came up. I know who's going to know what to do. And so they went to Elrond. But here's the here's the thing is with Legolas uh, especially, and this is another side note. I meant to add it as one of my talking points, but I kind of forgot. Mirkwood is apparently the worst jail place to send anyone because <laughs> no character that's ever goes there does not escape. On with your point. Um but Legolas is saying, I'm coming to find Gandalf to tell him that Gollum has escaped. That mm -hmm. Smeagol is gone. Oh, okay. So there's a recurring, there's one recurring link to every one of them except for Boromir and Gloin, I'm not sure if I have to remember think back to it, but, and that is Gandalf. Oh, sure. So you have characters which we know are of a higher ilk, Gandalf and mm -hmm. Elrond. So maybe maybe that higher power is, is using Gandalf to get people to, to suck him in. To suck him in. He's yeah. like a gray hole. I would not call him Gandalf the gray hole. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I could not resist that one. But yeah. I, I would say that Gandalf is the tool that's driving most of these people there. Not <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. And in one episode, we've managed to call Gandalf a gray hole and a tool. And, <laughs> and fabulous. And oh, no, that Saruman, Saruman is fabulous. Right. We're pissing off the whole wizard world. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, maybe we should move on from that particular point then. Um, all right, so another point of interest, something I, I wanted to bring up with you and get your thoughts on. Um, Aragorn, uh, he's speaking of the rangers who keep... Uh, the the northwest area of the world secure areas like the Shire and Bree. Yeah. Um, and he mentions uh, that it's okay with him that people don't know about it. You know, they can even insult him if they want to. Um, They're doing he, their jobs if that's the case. Sure, exactly. His, his quote, I wrote it down, is if simple folk are free from care and fear, simple they will be, and they must be, and we must be kept secret to keep them so. Um, now, is it a noble pursuit of Aragorn and the Rangers? I mean, everything they do is noble, right? But is it a good idea to keep the hobbits and the Bree folk and anybody else simple and free from care or fear? Uh, is keeping them from a more sophisticated understanding of the world and the danger that they're surrounded with, is that a good thing? You have just handed some English major somewhere their thesis statement or their thesis for a major writing piece on Lord of the Rings and NSA spying no, for real, how, right? How let's talk about the merits and the cons. So do oh, I, and we can get more into that as we go into the chapter, because I do th what they're doing. They're protecting people. It's a good thing, but keeping them in the dark about it, to, you know, I would kind of like to know if there was people around my village area that were, you know, a serious threat. But then again, not knowing I'm able to live my life. You know, on, uh, well, it's not a great parallel, though, because the rangers aren't sneaking into the hobbits' houses at night and, you know, stealing all their information, <laughs> right? Um, Quick, Aragorn, go get his, go get his uh, phone bill. <laughs> I, I would think of it more like, um, you know, somebody 
okay, let's take our great city, for example, in Salt Lake City, who lives their whole life without uh, without ever understanding anything about the United States military. Mm-hmm. They don't know about it. They don't care about it. They don't have any relatives in it. They never really give it a second thought. Um, so the military isn't, you know, they're not doing the NSA thing where they're spying on you all the time, but they're they're off fighting wars, keeping the bad guys at bay. You know, maybe you could uh, you could talk about the FBI hunting down would-be terrorists, something like that. Uh, I think that might be the more apt analogy. So it's not necessarily the NSA, but it's more like uh, military yeah, I, or law I, enforcement. I, I get the I get the separation and the, and yeah. the contrast there. Anyway, but, but back to the original question. Right. You know, is, is this a good thing? Is this, uh, are, are they wise in this? It is, an, I, I believe it to be a noble endeavor of the Rangers to do so. Um, but that's, I mean, that's about as far as my feelings would be on that. Yeah. All right. Good enough for me. Short and simple. Yeah. Something to think about at least. Um, all right. So uh, a couple other things. Um, uh, when Gandalf goes to visit Saruman and Saruman is trying to convince him to join forces with the dark side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Emperor Palpatine is hanging out in the dark tower. Um, he, he lists, he gives his high and ultimate purpose. That's how he says it. Uh, and he lists knowledge, rule, and order. Right. This is our ultimate purpose. Knowledge, rule, and order. Yes or no, are these bad things? As with any generality. Uh... Nope. nope. Yes or no? <laughs> knowledge? Only a Sith deals in absolutes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Knowledge, rule, and order. Good or bad? Good. Okay. I would agree. I would agree. None of these are bad things, but we're missing some things. And I would say things like truth, right, justice. Anything else that you might add to the list? Oh, gosh. Just take any virtue and right. Okay. Yeah. throw it in there. So, and I guess that's my question is, you know, what else? First of all, what else should be on the list? Um, but then... You know what's wrong with these things that Saruman is talking about? Why why does this kind of jar us when we hear him talking about this high and ultimate purpose? I believe because it is the enforcement of an of these three ideas against not necessarily you know I'm sure people want those things. We like we like knowledge, we like order, we like you know we like these things, but it's the enforcement of this regardless of choice and opinion it's the fact that he's trying to say we're going to make the you know once we win this war these are the things that we're going to do and these are the priorities that we're going to make and if you don't like that you're in the way and you'll probably be removed yeah yeah uh, that's a good way to put it it reminds me very much of the totalitarian regimes of the first half of the sec uh, of the 20th century that tolkien got to see pop up Mm -hmm. um and uh you know, it's. I don't think it's any accident that when Peter Jackson made the films and he shows Saruman in Isengard, he looks a whole lot like Hitler addressing a giant army, you know, mm-hmm. getting ready to go to war. Um, you know, if uh, if we want to get into this kind of this uh, order that Saruman is talking about and we want to stay in classic literature, we can even go to, say, 1984 
Brave New World, uh, books that that kind of depict what it would be like to live in a in a society, to live in a society that uh, takes care of everything for you. Mm-hmm. There's nothing bad that ever happens to anybody. You know, it's uh, it, it's a little bit of a bleak picture, even though everything's nice. Yeah, uh, I mean, you can turn to any number of uh, films or, or stories, like you said, um, that depict that. Uh, one of the classic cult classics, Logan's Run, you know, everything's provided for. You don't have to take care of anything. You just enjoy your life until it's your turn to die. Mm-hmm. And, and Logan's Run, by the way, is uh, what Ross Geller calls the sexiest movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> just needed to throw that in there. <laughs> so, okay. Now, before I finish this up, I want to flip it a little bit on its head. Um, because obviously Saruman has left the path of wisdom, as Gandalf might say, uh, but consider the deepest desire of the elves. Um, Elrond says, uh, when he's talking about the rings, uh, he says that the three rings of the elves were not made, as he says, quote, for strength or domination or hoarded wealth, but understanding, making and healing, and to preserve all things unstained. So how does that list strike you? The big difference is in the recipient end of it. Um, Knowledge, order, rule, those are all from me to you. Like, that's all things for me. The elves three, um, understanding requires me to hear what you're saying. It is the, it's, you're receiving, you're on the receiving end of those things. You're healing others. It It puts the focus on others rather than on yourself. So knowledge, order, rule. Those things are all you imposing on them. These ones are things you do for these are things you do for others. So nice. I think that's your basic answer. And the the but there's a fourth value that Elrond throws out there, and he says it's to preserve all things unstained. And I think that as as wonderful and virtuous as the elves are, they do have a weakness. They do have a sort of downfall, and that's the desire to to preserve to resist change. Right. You know, it, it obviously change for the sake of change is not necessarily the best uh, tactic in life, but change is going to come whether you want it to or not. And so it's all about how you react to it. And the way that they react to it is to resist it at all costs. You, you know, even making these three most powerful rings to resist that change, you know, and, and I, I, I don't have a lot to get into right now. We may get to see a little bit more when we uh, run into some more elves as we go through the story, but something to <laughs> something to keep in mind uh, as we go through that these elves are extremely resistant to change. Okay. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to bring up? Uh, anything you noticed during the reading? No, I believe we have extensively covered all those pages that I read. Oh, seriously. What is this, 38 minutes later? Yeah, I've talked my own ear off, so... All right, well, uh, I think uh, the next few chapters we are, I think we're doing three chapters. Uh, we're going, we're heading out of Rivendell. We're going to go to Moria. Sweet. Um, well, it depends on who you're talking to. Well, I guess so. Um, and yeah, we'll go into and out of Moria, and uh, I'll, I'll see you on the other side. Very well. I'll see you on the other side of Moria.
Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com.